<laughs> so let's see. For me, it was really a personal journey. Um, it was a journey um, seeking my education. It was something that took me um, in total uh, on and off about 18 years. Uh -huh. So from high school to completing high school to then following and doing an associates and then a bachelor's and now with my master's in public admin, like doing all of those things in total, it took about 18 years and that was while working full time and being a non-traditional student and you know, um, going through a myriad of challenges, both that I created because I wanted to test myself, right? Um, and by that, I mean, you know, volunteering and becoming a part of this community and really enjoying and getting to know the people in Carbondale. Yeah. Um, so getting here was about that personal journey, like I said, and it was a struggle. I mean, a lot of people don't know I dropped out of high school mm -hmm. um, and it was because of an educator. Like it was a educator who told me that my English at the time was not up to par. English is my second language. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm a junior in high school and I'm concerned, like I, I'm not gonna graduate. I've been working very hard um, and I felt disillusioned, I guess, you know, um, and let it get the best of me. Um, and thankfully I had mentors in place and those mentors um, for me showed up at home. They, yeah. they showed up and they were like, you're too smart to drop out. Like, we don't think that that's the correct route for you. And I was like, it's okay, I'll do my GED. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'll, I'll figure out college, it's gonna be fine. Yeah. Um, and you know, hopeful 17 year old me. <laughs> um, and she said, absolutely not. And I'm, I'm grateful for her intervention. I think that uh, mentors intervening in the right places at the right time yeah. are crucial to success um, for all of us, you know? Um, and so for me, her intervention is what allowed me to, you know, walk in and be like, well, I have no English credits because I was not passing English. I mean, um, <laughs> I'll own it. I was not passing English. Mm -hmm. And uh, to be completely honest, I said, I want to graduate on time. and. Initially, they looked at me and they're like, man, do you know how many credits you're missing? Like, that's gonna be a very difficult task. Mm -hmm. um, but they created a plan, they got it approved um, by their education person, and um, I don't know what other hoops they had to go through, but they got it approved, <laughs> and I managed, I did, I managed to complete all the credits necessary, and I graduated two months later than what I should have. Um, and that included, my very final thing was uh, my participation in the National Youth Science Camp. So that was the last thing I did for high school, uh -huh. um, was that. And then from there, I kind of had to figure out how to do college. Well, and is, is that, I'm sorry, I'm looking, just double checking, you ever, I do this from time to time, where I'm like, did I press the record button? Yes, I did press the record button. <laughs> the that just the, the school and the structure that it was around you just wasn't the thing that complemented the way that you wanted to work within a system of learning. Yeah, it, it wasn't. So the track that I was under, 
um, at the time, I was at a vocational high school. Mm -hmm. So like, I know how to read blueprints and I can actually draw some up. Um, yeah. I learned how to do that in high school. Um, I know how to use CAD. Nice. <laughs> I have all these things that I know how to do um, because I went to that trade school. Mm -hmm. So it's cool, right? But at the same time, it was not what I wanted to do. Yeah. I didn't want to be tracked. I didn't want to just go learn how to do these things and become a member of a union. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted something more. And that probably has to do with my dad because I jokingly <laughs> talk a lot about my father because um, he spent a lot of time staring down the mountain. Because um, <laughs> I grew up in Puerto Rico, so um, we lived in a house and it was literally right off the corner of a little cliff. And so anytime, morning, 5 a.m. coffee time, it was me and dad right on the porch just looking down the hill. Um, and so like I remember those conversations and a lot of his conversations had to do with intellectual work. Like he may have been a simple man who like spent all of his time growing, you know what I'm saying? Coffee from the earth, mm -hmm. but that man was, oh man, he was smart. Yeah, he was. That, so. that, and, and, and at the break in of a, is it Leonard Skinner that did simple man in a simple guy? I'm so sorry for this introduction <laughs> to episode 84 of the WTF Carbondale podcast where we talk to interesting people about their interesting lives and title back to this little old place we call home, Carbondale, Illinois. And my friend Yaya is my guest for this show, and I appreciate you. Just like on, on short notice, I was just like, we've been talking, and then I saw you at Free Comic Book Day while I had the kids out of Castle Perilous, and was just like... That was yeah. fun. I'm still not done with those comics. It was great. <laughs> I, um, I I got to, I picked I picked up a couple of very um, some critical lens comics for the oh. for the kids to read into. So they're they're at that. You know, we you're talking about just parents being willing to talk to their kids intellectually, right? Yeah. Like I I'm just so into that with the twins, and like at the same time, I, I also communicate with them like children like playful kids yeah you know i can i can at one point talk to them like they are a peer in a learning environment and be like you have to think things through and, da, 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 and they just huff and groan oh fine but whatever and then there's like just the 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 playful conversation and what have you and it's i i, I can very much appreciate that relationship with your father Oh yeah, um, it's it's interesting because my mentors have actually noted that that intellectual work has allowed me to live um, my life kind of in a way that most people don't. Yeah. Right. So um, they're like, you're very free in a lot of ways, and I'm like, yeah, because I don't think about a lot of things in the same way that people do. I don't judge things the same way that people do. Yeah. Um, and, and it might be, you know, in part my upbringing. Like, you know, yeah, my dad was a farmer, but like, he also was a capitalist. Like, mm -hmm. he owned a bar and a restaurant. Like, I grew up in a town just like Carbondale, actually. Yeah. So Carbondale reminds me of home. <laughs> um, in that sense, like, there's a small, you know, town center, mm -hmm. and you kind of know everyone at the store anyways every time mm -hmm. you bump into them. Um, that's That was my experience growing up, you know, and, like, being the daughter of someone who owned a restaurant. That mm -hmm. means everyone knew who I was. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, like, I, I've lived my life in the public eye for a long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, any any 
anybody that's grown up in the restaurant business knows that as the child at the business, you're the star of that business. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> always. Um, and for me, my dad was, you know what, uh, he, he actually made sure that uh, accounting was my thing. So, yeah. like, my job as a child, right? Like, my job was to... Um, <laughs> to overlook the books and uh -huh. make sure that he didn't miss anything, just yeah. to check his math. That was um, his way of teaching me math, um, nice. was to show me the books. Yeah. And he taught me how to do the books. So I've known how to do like CPA accounting stuff for a long time because of it, um, because nice. of that. And it's little things like that. Like a nine-year-old has no business knowing how to do this, but I can balance a book. <laughs> um, and I was definitely doing that at nine. Yeah. Um, at nine, I was in charge of the farm at that point. Like. It was my job to hire help for the summer and make sure that we got the yield that we needed. So, like, I've taken on roles yeah. uh, my entire life. So, like, work has never been... I've never ran away from work. There we go. Yeah. Um, and so I tend to get bored and I create work. And sometimes <laughs> that, you know, that looks, you know, like events at Sikabe, right? Um, and the events that we do at Fourth Friday Fest, uh, which are, for me, are really just about creating community and space yeah. for Latinos here. Um, the population in Carbondale is booming. I don't know if anyone else has noticed, um, but I know that I have. Yeah. And um, I think that we are, as a town, unprepared. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, according to the census, if... I recall correctly, I was looking at the data the other day because, yeah, that's what I do for fun. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Love that institutional data. Oh, yes. It was fun. Um, so I was searching through it, and just like I thought in, you know, 2014 when I was writing about, mm -hmm. you know, like Latino migration and um, immigration, period, um, I was talking about an expected 30%, you know, and I... When I first threw that number, you know, like when I did the math, I was like, man, that number's really high. <laughs> like, that's, that's a really big number. Uh -huh. um, and so I almost didn't believe it. And I was just like, you know what, let's just hope that uh, my margin of error here is like very tiny and um, I'm, I'm just really good today. And I'm actually not that far off. Um, the 2019 census data that I pulled up the other day mm -hmm. says that Jackson County is about 30 something percent. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, okay, so what are we doing? What is Jackson County doing? What is Carbondale itself doing? Um, and so I, I like to see a lot of things, but that means that I got to put my hands in it because I live here. Um, so I'm trying to. And yeah. that means participating and actively, you know, volunteering and meeting with folk and having these conversations so that I create those spaces for everyone because that's the beauty about Carbondale. You can create those spaces for everyone. What is uh, what what is it that that you were telling me that has gone in uh, where El Paisano was previously, right across from Turley Park? I think you actually mentioned that to me. It was um, <laughs> <laughs> it was a resource center. We were talking about a resource center, and I know that um, just recently we did open um, Casa Michoacan, uh -huh. I believe. Um, and Sikabe, we were we were there, and I know that we're working together currently for that event for nice. um, mid mid to late September. It's in the twentieth, I believe. I have to check my calendar, but um, <laughs> we do have an event 
um, coming up. And so we're we're excited. I mean, it's I think that it's it's good to see more people enter the arena and and like really see that there is a need um, and and start pulling, you know. Like my dad used to say, "Roll up your sleeves. Come on, let's get in there." Um, <laughs> he was he was really good for that. He's like, "No leader is worth his salt if he's not willing to roll up his. You gotta roll him up." Yeah. And so I think that, in that sense, he created my leadership style because I don't I don't balk at getting my hands dirty and trying to, you know, work, you know, shoulder yeah. to shoulder with people to get stuff done and and just fix solutions, create, you know, like mm-hmm. create spaces for folk, create um, community for folk. And there's, you know, the being able to work at whatever level provides you the earnings to get through because there's a difference between your efforts yep. and your earnings. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, coming from that background of growing up, right, doesn't mean that I had it. Um, with any privilege like you know like Just every other divorce go. yeah like every other divorce someone in support at the end and my <laughs> mom got that stick um, so I ended up having to learn a whole host of new things as well like when we moved stateside mm-hmm. so like leaving Puerto Rico meant like I left a life of privilege but at no point was I ever allowed to be that way Yeah, you know like my dad never allowed me to ever feel above anyone because he's like at the end of the day we all end up in the same hole Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and like he was he was a funny guy and his simplicity right like i I talk about it a lot now um more candidly Mm -hmm. but like you never really get them until like you really get them and i think that like it took me a while but you know you tell me stop talking about being 40 but (laughs) you're 30 you're not even 37 that's not that's not 40 but i am you know i am it's okay um, you're you're an old spirit at heart yeah i think my mind is getting ready for it i came out of the womb at 63 years old i know what it's like i've been we're benjamin buttons all the way that's exactly what it is it's okay i i'm i got i got no shame in that walking with a walker since the crib game that's (laughs) that's okay with me being the adult here, the, the adults here adults in any room has always been a thing, even when I was a teen, and mm-hmm. that's weird. So I get it. <laughs> and that's, I'm sure that made it very difficult, like in a schooling setting, to like be an adult in a room with people that you realize, like, and this is what, you know, you don't start to realize until you're in your mid-20s <laughs> or whatever, and you're like, oh, you mean these people that have been like, I'm an adult, listen to me this whole time, have just been the same people as the people you wouldn't listen to as a kid anyway? Like, yeah. okay, yeah, that's, that's exactly what this is. <laughs> Our minds work in beautiful ways, man. Like, the, the, the way that we um, allow for those things to occur. Yeah. Right? Um, and they are allowances. They are about consent. Like, you're consenting to participate in community and, you know, and whatever it is. And so that has its weird customs already built in. Yeah. And that's the way that I talk about it. Because, like, the idea of professionalism. <laughs> you know? Um, I think I'm pretty professional. But most people don't like shorts. Yeah. You know? So, those but people, that's what I'm those, saying. Forget those people. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I, you know, I, I still every now and then, I've, I've, I've started to transition away from, from wearing open-toed flip-flops 
everywhere I go at all points and times of the of the season, slowly but surely. And um, I did happen to wear them out in public just uh, just a few days ago. So I was like, when are we going to get you to wear some shoes? And it's like, get over it. <laughs> like, like it's not... They were showing once. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you, you either, you either, you either want me to be uncomfortable and worry more about, you know, my comfort than have my mind fully focused on the task at hand that we're working on. Like, yeah, how about like, we just worry about the task at hand? And if I lose a toe along the way, that's on me. <laughs> I should have known better. Should have known better. Should have known better. Probably would have lost that toe in a, in a cloth toed shoe anyway. You know, the, um, so what, what is your, what is your coming to Carbondale story? Like what is, when did you, I mean, when, when, when did, when were you first introduced to this place and was so, it at the same point at which you moved here? Actually, yeah, it was a very quick decision for me. So uh -huh. I had to decide between SIU and NIU. Uh -huh. um, I had boiled it down to those two. And honestly, I came to SIU because I needed to not be close to home. Uh -huh. um, so I know me. I worry about my family. I'm very family-centric. So mm -hmm. I didn't want to run the risk of being my own impediment again. And by that, I meant providing for other folk mm -hmm. when I should have been doing for myself. Mm -hmm. um, and so I prioritized me and that meant leaving. Um, and so I got away as far <laughs> away yeah. as I can get um, so that I can shed some of my fam family responsibility mm -hmm. um, and kind of really etch myself out. So like I've always known that I've wanted to do something. I just didn't quite know what. Um, yeah. And so a lot of my focus was, you know, I, I initially I thought I was going into psych, mm -hmm. coming to SIU. Um, and I actually had two SIU alums, both of which who work for the city colleges system of Chicago, mm -hmm. um, pull me aside into their office and show me every single paper that I've written concerning politics, policy, and law. Uh-huh. And between the two of them, they said, please do not do this to yourself. Your passion is this. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, like I like talking about it, but it's like, I, I never, um, I never made the correlation yeah. of, and, and that's silly, right? Like I never made that important correlation. Like to me, it was always like, this one bug just keeps going back and forth all over the room. I know. I'm losing my mind. It was like what I was used to listening to the barbershop when I went with my dad. Mm -hmm. Like, they talked about politics. They mm -hmm. talked about the war. They talked about whatever it was that was going on nationally mm -hmm. or, you know, outside. But, like, I remember those conversations as a kid, and that's what I correlated it to. So, to me, like, yes, the government existed, but they didn't really... So I, it, yeah, well, I mean, it's what happens when you're in occupied territory, right? Yeah. <laughs> Hello, the empire. Uh, the, oh my lord! Don't get me down that. Well, but, but no, no, I mean, so I mean, but 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 legitimately, I do I do want to get you down that road a little bit because you're talking about you know observing your father in the social setting in the in the uh, you know very conversational setting of the barber shop, yeah. right? And I'm and I'm sure there's where many things are represented that people misunderstand, don't understand, don't care to understand about our fellow U.S. citizens, our Puerto Rican brothers and sisters. 
right? Oh, like, <laughs> so, like, do we have the time? Yeah, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> so I was growing up in Puerto Rico in the 90s. And uh-huh. so if you know anything about the 90s in that time, so we have, um, we still have the military in Vieques mm-hmm. at the time. And as a matter of fact, at that time, because of all the practices that were occurring um, on around the island, Mm -hmm. there was shrapnel left um, because they were being poor stewards of the environment. That's Mm -hmm. what I'm gonna say. Um, And so (laughs) um, kids were being banned by this, Mm -hmm. you know? Children were going out for a swim and coming back without legs and limbs. Um, And so it became and I, I remember the newspaper covers like like it was yesterday. It was almost like it's it's traumatizing, mm-hmm. yeah. um, <laughs> and it's something that I'll never forget. I remember the newspapers and like all over the front cover, like anytime something occurred and the marches, you know, going into to try to to get the military to leave the area, um, not because we didn't want them there, but because of what they were doing, mm-hmm. of the results of. Because like, think about it, Puerto Rico has been um, under the US's rule for like 100 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's been a very long time. <laughs> yeah. It's been a very long time. Um, and you know, there's entire highways that are still not finished, mm-hmm. um, that have cost billions of dollars. And the people of Puerto Rico have no clue where that went. Um, and so I find it interesting that the politics in Puerto Rico haven't changed and have become very much like the U.S.'s. Yeah. So in PR, there was three political parties in the 90. You never hear about the third one anymore, ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely Democrat and Republicans now um, mm-hmm. who have the stage. And it goes back and forth between Republicans stating that we want to be a state and Democrats saying that we don't. Now, in either case, every single time they've voted, it's been a fraction of the people who actually vote mm-hmm. um, because it's not widely announced. Yeah. So as a result, the information that Congress gets is incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that just from watching what's occurring on the island. I mean, the last um, governor got dragged out. Mm-hmm. They, they walked to the Capitol with a guillotine. <laughs> like, one of those very theatrical mm-hmm. ones, mm-hmm. you know, from back in the... Um, because they wanted him out that badly. Um, and it was mostly because of his political and social faux pas. Like, yeah. the, you know, some of text messages or something like that. So, like, the politics in Puerto Rico have been very muddled for a very long time. Um, but I... It's because of other factors. <laughs> that is the softest way of putting it. Yep. <laughs> that is definitely the softest. But, you know, I'll give you an example that I actually learned while I was here. Um, I got the chance to meet someone from Cuba, mm-hmm. right? And we were just talking about taxes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the U.S. and the embargo meant that if Cuba wanted American goods, they had to purchase them through someone else because Mm -hmm. America wasn't selling to them. Um, That made it about 37 to 47% more expensive, Mm -hmm. all right? Um, But they pay the price because they want the goods. Yeah. Puerto Ricans, we're citizens. We pay 37% more no matter what because 
of the Jones Act because we have to move it from one ship to another ship mm -hmm. that's a U.S. ship to then put it in Puerto Rico. Everything goes to Florida, transfers shipped to a U.S. ship, and then the U.S. carries in. The Puerto Rican economy provides the U.S. $9 billion. And I'm quoting um, an economist in Puerto Rico. This is yeah. not my math. This is, um, she actually ran for governor against, uh, his name was Rosillo. Mm -hmm. um, and she was doing a podcast just like this. And she talked about just these economic drivers, right? And she's like, we provide $9 billion to the U.S. We take right, and entitlements and whatnot, mm -hmm. um, we take about six, which means the U.S. makes a clean three off of us. Yeah, which is crazy because that's not how much of the U.S. Exactly. tax structure works. I mean, Illinois is a great example of that, right? Exactly. Uh, of like what a typical metro-center-driven, you know, wealth generation machine does for an entire government body is it generates money to be then redistributed to the places that need more resources. Exactly. And so <laughs> um, as a result, because of the way that the politics are in Puerto Rico, because mm -hmm. of its Commonwealth state, there's a whole host of things that we can't do. Like I can't legally own a gun in Puerto Rico because only federal laws really apply. But if you get caught with a gun, because they're not, you're not allowable to have because mm -hmm. it's not a state, you can't purchase it. Because huh. they're normally observed by state departments. Mm -hmm. So only cops have guns in Puerto Rico unless they're illegally purchased in the black market. That's crazy. Yep. Um, but that's just because of the way that the law's written. Yeah. Um, and the way that federal law then de derives into the Commonwealth. Um, we don't have the same rights as states at all. If it was the will of the people, what would you think would happen in Puerto Rico? So I've been gone for 20 years. So I would honestly say that it'd be ridiculous for me to assume. That's fair. But That's very fair. <laughs> um, but just from the sense of what I'm seeing in the media, right, mm -hmm. and what I'm seeing folk, individual folk share, um, and individual folk creating their own media sites to be able to report out. Um, mm -hmm. And then some of the great work that happened during Maria, like being able to see all the things and all, all the issues that were occurring mm -hmm. um, as a result of really good reporting on our end as well, you mm -hmm. know, because we had American reporters that went down to the islands to try to get the truth of what was happening. Um, so a mixture of all of these different sources gives me this belief that the people are just tired. Yeah. in Puerto Rico. Like, at this point, they don't care which way it goes. They just want it to end. Just be done. Yeah. Um, and for some folk, yeah, like, our citizenship, right, it's, it's a blessing, right, to have it. But for some folk, they willingly give it up so long as their country could thrive. Yeah. And, like, right now, Puerto Rico can't thrive um, because everything that used to be its economy is no longer there. Mm -hmm. So like agricultural economy is pretty much gone. You see a lot of people now, um, in the towns that I grew up in the center, 
Mm-hmm. Um, they're starting to do more solar and agricultural work. They're doing mm-hmm. um, some combinations of the two. I actually have a local 501c3 that I follow from my hometown mm-hmm. who does all the work. I grew up with that 501. Yeah. So I think that's why I always am comfortable in those spaces as well. Like I grew up around a 501 and I was always involved with them. Is that what's kind of kept you on track in staying involved in volunteer work is just that that you've had early exposure to nonprofit structural organizations and that's just kept you drawn into it yeah I think that um so there's this piece that I never talk about and it's like this community Mm buy-in right like you have to buy into your community in order to be a thriving part of it yeah um and so my dad you know, <laughs> my dad, uh, he, he walked me to this house and it was like this very dated at the time, mm-hmm. um, still is very dated house. It's painted the hottest pink at the time that I could think of that could have come in that color mm-hmm. um, and white. Yeah. And it was like this colonial style, like, you know, um, mansion looking thing. And it was a 501c3, and they literally worked to do a co-op. They have their own coffee brand, and that's how they fundraise, mm-hmm. um, is the co-op. Yep. And it was just really interesting because I think that he started it with like just wanting me to love coffee, which mm-hmm. is why I love coffee the way that I do. Because <laughs> um, you've, you've caught me on my coffee rants. Um, so, <laughs> you know exactly how much I love coffee. And so he did it for me to appreciate that right um and got me involved with that 501 and as a result i bought into there right and adjuntas puerto rico is always going to be home to me like i may have been born in chicago but i was raised there and i am always going to be a country little girl from puerto rico um and casa pueblo was my home and so now i'm just trying to create those spaces right um and so i've Thankfully, you know, um, Sikabe welcomed me, and I've I've been with them for oh wow six six years now. Yeah, yeah, six years now. Um, and that's been like four as artistic director, which has been super fun. Um, and now I'm moving on to you know the new challenges that I'm 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 moving forward. So I, I'm just I'm excited to be back. Yeah. Um, Carbondale is definitely home. I mean, I met my wife here. What was the journey away and the journey back like? Oh, man. (laughs) So I've always maintained this joke that since my mom brought me from Puerto Rico, right, Uh all the way to the cold in Chicago, again, (laughs) that I've been jokingly, but not really, moving south, running away from the cold. Uh Um, And so that landed me in Alabama. Never again. I'm glad to be back. (laughs) Um, Huntsville was an interesting place. It was um, beautiful in a lot of ways, uh, but it lacked empathy mm-hmm. and compassion, which is very interesting because I didn't think that I would find that there. Um, and I learned a lot about Alabama politics while I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically like voter disenfranchisement and how it occurs really. Mm-hmm. Because um, all we can really do in Illinois is talk about it. Like mm-hmm. we, we can be scholarly about it, but the reality is, voting in Illinois is cake. Yeah, it is compared to um, a lot of places in the country. 
Yeah, so Alabama, not only did it suffer from, like, very few and very far away places, right, to vote, um, but then it suffers from this thing where, like, it's very easy to catch a charge as a poor person. Mm -hmm. Like, I got carded for walking my dog in my neighborhood. What? Yeah. I... I'm so grateful that I happened to be wearing my SIU sweats uh -huh. that day and the cop, the sergeant noticed them. So they left me alone because they realized that I was an educated woman because uh -huh. um, that's exactly what he said uh, when he walked away, the other agent. Um, but yeah, I was definitely being singled out and harassed um, because something had occurred in the neighborhood um, and it was just, it was a line of questioning, right? But it was the way that he went about it. Um, the fact that he's like, do you have an idea? And I'm like, I didn't know I needed one to walk my dog. Like, I live right there. Um, and the fact that he followed me mm -hmm. because I refused to speak to him. I was asleep. I don't know what happened. I literally just woke up, came out to take out my dog, sir. That was it. But had his sergeant not stepped in, mm -hmm. like, that could have gone a million and one different ways yeah you know um and it's because of the way that they approach folk um it's that uh it's almost like you're guilty before you're even in handcuffs mm -hmm. um and that's their approach in a lot of ways um even when you called for a complaint like they come knock on your door still what even, do you want why are you calling me i i remember one time there was actual active gunshots in the neighborhood like and it was like multiple like enough for people to call the cops right yeah. and they had gotten so many cops that by the time i guess we had called the response was we've already sent someone out <laughs> it was like 10 o'clock at night we never saw a cop car never in that neighborhood at nighttime no one would go there after five. That's the type of neighborhood I was living in because um, it's all I really could afford over there. Because mm -hmm. to top it off, um, the areas are segregated mm -hmm. and they are, their expansion is occurring at, um, at the expense of black, mostly black and impoverished communities. Mm -hmm. So um, it was... It was interesting to see it in that way because like we talk about it and we write about it mm -hmm. right when we're in school but we don't quite see it in southern illinois in the same way and like seeing it that way was scarier like i thought i had seen some stuff here nothing nothing like i i was surprised at the amount of aggression for no reason mm -hmm. like stopped at a bus stop me and my wife and just random guy coming out of a store my wife are about as close as me and this mic having a conversation waiting for the bus and this man's look of hatred towards us is so like we could feel it mm -hmm. that we turned and noticed him staring at us because we weren't paying attention to him we were yeah. minding our business until we felt like uncomfortable and looked up. But the fact that people like that exist, you know, and that they're so emboldened there.
that's what really surprised me was the boldness. Um, I think that racism in other areas, specifically in the North, is far more subdued. Um, and we talk about racism without quite knowing what racism really looks like mm -hmm. um, in that way, right? Um, and for a Latina, <laughs> you know, like it's really difficult because down there I don't exist at all. I mean, if I spoke Spanish, I actually had a lady break down crying at Aldi. Because she heard you speak Spanish? Yes. You want to know why? Because everyone there is terrified too. And that's exactly the response that I got from her. She said, you're not scared. And I said, I have, you know, I'm protected. <laughs> um, I'm protected. And she just looked at me and she's like, would you be careful out here? She's like, be careful with that. Mm -hmm. Be careful. Mm -hmm. what a, what a and I mean, mind you, she said, she said it to me in Spanish, but it was in a very hushed voice. Yeah. And the look of concern in her face was as if my mother was speaking to me yeah. to stop acting crazy. You know, like one of, the, yeah. like one of those yeah. mom moments, like you need to not, not get it together, collect it, put it in a bag, pack it away. Like that was the moment she was giving me. It was so intense. And I remember shaking and looking at Tori like I've never been that scared. And I had no reason to be scared. But the fact that she felt that scared and felt the need to explain that to me in that way. Do you feel like that, just the, the overall experience in Alabama helped to reinforce your center on the why for engaging in, in the policy work? Yeah, I, I think that, um, so when I left here, um, my father had just passed away. So I was in a really ugly hate space. Yeah. but. Um, I needed, I needed to, to heal. And, and so I needed to step away from everything that I knew. Um, because as much as you know, folk, when people don't know your business, it mm -hmm. makes it difficult for people to reach out. Right. And partly that's my fault. I'm very private. Yeah. Um, but I also didn't want that. Right. Um, it's, I mourn very privately, I guess. And so <laughs> um, I just, I needed some time to reassess myself. Um, and so I, I did that. Like my spouse had a career opportunity and we followed that. Yeah. Um, and so allowing her to lead, let me take a seat back and just really just gather myself. Because mm -hmm. um, I needed to. Um, after I lost my dad, I, for a moment there, I lost you know, the compass, like he, he kept me centered in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like he reminded me, um, just in, and most of our conversations at the end had to do with the Cubs, honestly. Huh? Like, um, when we did get to talk after Maria, like when there wasn't much of a phone at mm -hmm. the time, like most of the conversation, how were the Cubs doing? Um, so it, it, it was, it's something that we shared. We always shared. Um, so for me, it was my centering moment. So baseball for me is centering, uh -huh. um, which is interesting because I actually spent a lot of time going to the baseball games here. Really? Yeah. I watch the Salukis a lot. Um, 
And it was kind of a date thing for me and my wife, too. Yeah. So it was interesting because, like, there's these weird threads in my life that have somehow, like, come back around. And they've all happened in Carbondale. So, for example, the baseball thing. Yeah. Right? Um, me going to games again and enjoying them and having someone to speak to about games. Um, and it being, like, the home team. Right? Um, so those conversations, and I'll share those with my wife, but I share them about Carbondale. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not the Cubs in Puerto Rico, you know, because we, we had satellite because of the restaurant. So we got to watch them. Mm-hmm. But before that, like, that's the only sport that I really watched. And I played volleyball. I didn't, you know, that was, that was it. If you were not doing some sort of, like, Olympic sport in Puerto Rico or doing academics uh-huh. in the 90s, what were you doing? Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that was kind of like the tracks that I was down. So my life has always been about education and sports and community. And so it was interesting that in Carbondale, right, like starting with that conversation about like me being a high school dropout, uh-huh. right? Like a lot of people don't know that um, because it's not something that I'm proud of, right? It was yeah. the moment that I gave up on myself. Um, but... From that moment, but I never... But you only never... gave up on yourself for a moment. Yep. And that's the key to it. Sorry. Yep. I had to... That just, no. <laughs> I had to get it out. <laughs> and that's exactly where I was going to get it. It's like, yeah, for that one moment, I gave up on myself. And yeah, I've learned to like pause, to heal, right? Um, but like aside from that, like I think that Carbondale has allowed me to like come full circle because now, you know, I'm... I'm positioned in a place where I'm actually, in a lot of ways, the person that helped me yeah. when I was 17. So, like, I had, you know, going back to the mentorship piece, like, I've had, funny enough, Puerto Rican male mentors mm-hmm. my entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, Antonia Pantoja High School is actually where I finished. Um, and I did that whole year and a half, <laughs> like four years and a year and a half almost of mm-hmm. English. Um, so, I, I did that there, and the principal was Puerto Rican, and my counselors were Puerto Rican. And, like, it doesn't seem like much, but that sense of, like, someone knowing enough about you to to be able to push you right um Mm -hmm. in a positive way and to like i i wouldn't be here without you know these people who intervened um and it's really interesting because now i want to be that person so like i've spent a lot of time volunteering and all that stuff but i see how carbondale has made it all the way around for me so Mm -hmm. like yeah, I started here searching for an education, and somehow now I'm the tail end trying to help students like me who were like me at that time. Well, and not everywhere has something like a rebound that Carbondale has where it's a central location for folks that are looking to fast-track their way through the high school system and just be done with it, right, and, and still need people there to recognize their potential mm-hmm. so they don't just... I'm going to speed through and just be done and and go on. It's like, no, let's, let's still continue to explore you here and find that niche that you yourself should follow through on. Yeah. I I think that, um, one of my very first acts of like radical, like political, 
you know, <laughs> things, was um, when I was at Antonia Pantoja, I, um, we were at war. Mm -hmm. uh, this is, let me see. 2003, mm -hmm. 2002, 2003, so we're in Afghanistan, Iraq, mm -hmm. um, the beginning of those. And I was, at the time, dating someone who was in the military. We had a year or two difference, mm -hmm. right? Um, and they were away. And so for me, it was the first time that I ever felt the need to say something about something political. Yeah. Um, and it's just been since then. <laughs> like it's um I've become better you know at my analysis I guess because now I have some training um whereas before <laughs> I was just speaking from my experience and my space right yeah. so like I actually um I remember one time <clears throat> even in Carbondale I had a, a grad student once question me because I appear in some films and these films are um following a family member of mine who participated in a pageant. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I didn't know better. And so I was a completely different person. And so this person had seen those videos and I was like, you're judging 19 year old Yaya who was literally working three jobs and partying Thursday through Sunday <laughs> because I had the money to, Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> like you're taking someone who wasn't in the same headspace and comparing them to me. It's apples and oranges mm -hmm. now. Like you can't, it's not a comparison to who I used to be. And like seeing who I've become now and I'm, I'm so much happier with like, I, I don't wanna say completed product because I'm not done. Like yeah. I, my education is never gonna be done. I'm gonna constantly educate myself in something. Yeah. Um, but right now, um, it's woodworking. I'm doing a lot of building things. Really? Yes. It's woodworking right now. It's good. Yeah. Um, my dad knows how to do that stuff, and so I wanted to to pick up how to do it as well. I want to try and connect you with somebody. I got an idea. <laughs> the how how does the I mean, where does the intersection of the training, the experience, uh, you know, occur to to enrich the the output and and the uh, you know the pursuit of of you know a, a mission or a goal or a you know an effort what what have you. I, I'm not sure where the magic happened, but somewhere in carbon though it did for me. <laughs> um, I can't quite pinpoint it where, um, but there's been like several moments in carbon though that like for example, okay, this all right. So growing up in Puerto Rico, like. For me, since I grew up like far away from the metro area, uh -huh. right? So I'm really in the sticks, um, <laughs> deep in a mountain. And so like, I didn't have exposure to American pop culture, uh -huh. right? In the same way. And so like people make references sometimes and I'm just, don't get them at all. Um, but moving to Carbondale, I've, picked up a few or partaken in a few that I never, <laughs> you know, knew about, like um, Rocky Horror, right? Mm -hmm. I had a blast. Never in my life. I thought it was ah, hilarious. That's phenomenal. <laughs> but to be completely honest, I didn't grow up with that. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, so when people spoke to me about it, I was just like, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like this is a strange thing to me. I don't know what you're talking about. And it's just lack of exposure. Yeah. Right. Um, but you can, I mean, the, the question is ultimately how many things can a single individual be exposed to in a lifetime yeah. with a globe full of existence to engage in? True. Um, but I guess for me, because I've always wanted to seek knowledge, yeah. like it's it's going to be a constant thing. Like, I don't think, um, I don't think I'll stop trying to teach myself things. I think I'll become that weird eclectic old lady in Carbondale that just does a whole bunch of stuff and everyone knows for that. No, that's the goal. No, it's okay. We, 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 you are essentially the base layer of what makes this place. Good. <laughs> That's it. We, we need to, we need to, we need to keep replacing <laughs> our eccentrics in this town without our eccentrics. What would we be? Seriously? <laughs> we, we add the flavor and color to this town. Um, in a, a whole host of ways, honestly, I think that this place is so fun, mostly because of the people that are here. Yeah. Um, it's because of the people that are here and the people that are here creating. Um, creating content, creating spaces, creating, period. Why are, you, why, are you, why are you selling me on my own ideas here right now, Yaya? Like, I'm... <laughs> my guy, I'm telling right, you. Right? We're on the same page. No. <laughs> um, I, I, I tell my wife all the time, like, I don't like quoting Churchill. Um, but you know. But I'm gonna. No, I'm gonna. If not for the art, why do we do anything? <laughs> um, I I don't. That's really how I feel. Yeah. Like everything that I do is about the beauty of our world. Yeah. Like that's where I leave it. Um, that's what I'm looking for is beauty, either in kindness and empathy and company and community and um, you know dignity and life and people. Like, where do people mistake the components of communication that may consider folks like you and I a little bit more rough around the edges, a little bit more louder, a little bit more crass, right? So our delivery of these things. So I think, <laughs> so the delivery method has a reason. And, right. and I've thought about this for a while because I was like, why do I just sometimes fly off the handle? Um, and don't <laughs> get me wrong right here. I know this move right here. Yes. Cause you're thinking about something very specific right now. Yeah. I got you. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, like I, I can get or let myself sometimes get very impassioned. And so, um, I, I think that it comes with the knowledge that like, this isn't about me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, even if it affects me now, it's not about me. Yeah. It's about, you know, everybody else after me. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think that a lot of people didn't understand that that was where I was coming from. Uh, mm -hmm. So um, they didn't understand why I wouldn't put down the fights, right? Like, yeah. I, I know that there were certain fights I know I lost, um, but I would still not put them down um, because someone has to beat that drum. Yeah. Um, someone has to be the the compass, and if no one's willing to just be like, "This is wrong," and this is why. Yeah. Um, if no one's ever willing to call truth to power, then nothing ever changes. And 
people also really struggle to just navigate discomfort. Yes. Right? And like, it's not that hard to just get through the discomfort to the solution on the other end, but you won't let yourself get through the discomfort to yeah. get to the betterment. And don't get me wrong. Like, I have been on the other end of that. I've been uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and been called out. Like, I, I know that, you know. Um, for me, uh, it's language, yeah. you know, because there's certain things that we would say in Spanish that, to me, do not run that way. But when you translate it, OMG. <laughs> and so, you know, I've had to really, like, so my relationship with language has mm. been, like, massive. Just, you know, so not really knowing English or Spanish, move to Puerto Rico. Yeah. Learn Spanish, move to the U.S. I think I was like 13 too. So I was really bad at both languages yeah. at this point. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a struggle, right? Because I mean, all, you know, all too often, right? People, people uh, who only speak one language and that language being English in this country, look at people who are multilingual and are like, ah, because you don't speak English exactly like they think you should speak English, right? Even though the comprehension in a native tongue is so strong. Oh, right. Yeah. But that's not what you got to have. No, I mean, <laughs> I can tell you there are several papers, especially from my earlier coursework here mm -hmm. at SIU that I definitely wrote all in Spanish and had to translate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my first year here, which I actually did exceptionally well because I was concentrating really uh -huh. well, um, but that first semester here, I definitely spent a lot of time just translating mm -hmm. because I could express myself better in Spanish, even if it is just using, you know, um, common language and not like academic language. Mm -hmm. I could still express myself better in that language. Um, and so as a result, sometimes when I translate, it just doesn't sound right. Um, so I had to like teach myself junior year <laughs> to write yeah. only in English. It was so difficult for me. What a wildly <laughs> difficult thing. Seriously. Holy like, cow, Sentence structure and, like, knowing how to cite correctly, like, all those things were awash with me because mm -hmm. I, it was not something that I was used to. Um, and not that I was underprepared, but more like, it was never an expectation before for me. Yeah. So like when I was in junior college, yeah, they taught us, right? But it wasn't at the same <laughs> rate as years. So by the time I hit senior year, I was definitely not as polished as I should have been, and I caught plenty of flack for it. Um, but I made sure that I did my reading and worked on my brain part. So my critical thinking got me um, through, but it was a struggle at first, and it was mostly a language struggle. Yeah. Um, I think when we were reading, uh, the communist manifest, I read it in Spanish. I didn't read it in English. Um, <laughs> I did. It was part of the, the coursework and I, yeah. I had to read it and I read it in Spanish cause I could not in English. I couldn't get through it. Um, I, I can only imagine the difference in that, right? Cause no, nobody ever like looks at things and says, oh, the difference between you know, this communist block versus that communist block. Yeah. This democratic organization versus that democratic organization. This authoritarian regime versus that 
authoritarian regime, whatever it may be, right, that you can't just like broad label something and say, oh, well, because it is this particular type of political structure, it is that form of, you know, uh, oversight or governance or whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, the ideologies are the same, but it, definitely the way that it is explained breaks down different. Yeah. So, like, I understand it in a different way in a lot of ways. Um, because, it, I mean, now I get it, you know. But at the time when I was struggling with it, like, trying to to read through the content because class required, like, mm-hmm. I was just like, what is this word? I was sitting there with a dictionary. I felt like I was, you know, back in in my earlier days, you know, yeah. like really struggling and looking for words and not knowing. And I remember sitting through that first week of class and I felt like a deer in headlights um, because I was terrified. And yeah. it was mostly a language barrier for me. So, like, I'm, I think that when I TA'd, you know, I made it a big thing. So yeah. I like, hit on the language early, even though I know I was just doing a 101. And I remember um, my professors telling me, like, you don't have to be that hard on them. It's, it's just a 101. And I'm like, yeah, you don't <laughs> understand, like, the struggle I had with language. Yeah. Like, I need them to be better than me. Yeah. And so, like, that means teaching them now so that they have three years that I didn't. And they just look at me like, why is that important to you? I'm like, because that's how knowledge works. This me. is my story, and I pass this down. Yeah, exactly. Because knowledge is not something that is to keep. You share. Um, and <laughs> that's that's it. That knowledge is not something to keep. You share. What a beautiful, simple way. <sighs> yep. It's and so like I, I just that's everything that I do. Any moment that I get, anything that I have that I can offer, if someone's willing to like or wants to learn or want. I'm, and I have the time, I'm, I'm all for it because it's about sharing knowledge for me. That's what's important. Like the rest of it, the people knowing who I am or none of that is attractive. It's actually what ends up happening afterwards is attractive to me. What you see in the communities and how you see people interact with one another, um, the organizations that occur and how people then move you know, and you start to see them in other ways. You start to see it in economic drivers and you start to see it in, you know, houses being painted that used to not get painted mm-hmm. and you start to see it and people having a car that used to not have one mm-hmm. because they've been able to better themselves one way or another, even if it is just by you taking the moment to recognize that they're there. Um, and that I think that we often forget how intrinsically connected we are within our own communities, like even with COVID. So. We're just close. Yep. We're just close. Ah, we're, we're so close to that hour mark. I'm gonna draw it out two more minutes. Minutes. <laughs> minutes. Minutes. Spinach. Anyway. <laughs> you, um. You you also look at knowledge through a way that is not just strictly oratory knowledge, textual mm. knowledge. That it's the learned and followed patterns of behavior from your peers mm-hmm. and your adaptation to your environment that may never be spoken or written down, but simply happen because that's what learning is. I was actually in a meeting yesterday with a bunch of scholars. Um, 
and and I don't want to get into too much detail about that conversation. Perfect. But, we only have a couple more minutes. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> but the overall conversation was talking about how ancestral knowledge is not respected by academic knowledge and yeah. how there's this disconnect and somehow we need to meet in the middle because the reality is that, you know what? When I have a fever and I put on Vicks on my feet and throw on socks, my fever is gone in the morning, y'all. Explain that to all these Latinos that experience the same thing as me. Yeah. Um, and other non-Latinos, because I've taught non-Latinos how to do that, and they do it, and guess what? They don't have a fever in the morning either. Um, so, you have me intrigued. <laughs> yes. There's something about it. It breaks a fever. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, don't, I can't explain it. I don't have an MD degree, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure plenty of MDs have tried. The point is, it somehow works. But that's ancestral knowledge. That's knowledge that came from mis abuelitas, you know, like since <laughs> since as long as we can remember, Vicks existed. Right. How about that? Because um, <laughs> I think that I think that actually uh, some of the indigenous uh, cultures did use mint and tobacco mm-hmm. and used to layer their feet, anyways, for the same purpose to extract things from their body. Yeah. So the fact that we don't respect that knowledge um, is scary to me in the academic side like being someone who's been in the academic side and someone who will eventually pursue a phd because i'm definitely going for one nice um you heard it here first folks you heard it here first folks folks. anyway now that i yeah at some point Ah. at some point i'm gonna be dr yaya but um dr yaya that's a what a phenomenal yeah Ah, i love that I love that. So we'll we'll see. That's that's for the future for me. Just like continuing my, you know, journey with education. Um, but that's what got me here. It was just chasing education, chasing knowledge, trying to be the best version of me. <laughs> and I hope that you've been able to chase down a little bit of knowledge in this conversation, episode eighty-four of the WTF Carbondale podcast. Have a good one, folks. Whatever that one may be.